Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. This morning, we're going to continue our series on prayer, and in particular looking at what we can learn from the Lord's Prayer. And uh, who can remember what we spoke about last week? Forgive us our debts as we forget those who trespass against us. I know I'm mixing my translations there. This morning we're carrying on and we're going to look at the phrase, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now immediately you can notice that this phrase is made up of two parts. They're two separate requests. But each of them is important and has the potential to be a very powerful prayer. The first one is, lead us not into temptation. And the second one, deliver us from the evil one. They're linked, but actually they're separate requests. And so we're going to look at them in in turn. Lead us not into temptation. This is linked and based on a promise in scripture that God will keep us. All of us face temptations of different kinds from time to time. I mean, one of the challenges I have, and one of my temptations, is I love a good book. Yeah? I'm probably not the only one here. But if you talk to Moenna, she'll tell you she knows when I'm reading a good book. Because everywhere I go, the book goes with me. It's in the car next to the handbrake, not quite in case I stop at traffic lights, but in case there's any opportunity, 10 minutes while there's a toilet trip or something for the, for the family, out comes the book and I'll sit and read a few pages. And one of the troubles is that having started a chapter, I don't really like to end until I get to the end of a section or a chapter. So I'm sometimes heard to say, oh, Just let me get to a suitable point to finish. Now obviously, that's at a very basic level. But all of us face challenges of one kind or another. We're all tempted in different ways. Now, the structure of this request, lead us not into temptation, first of all, sounds a bit strange. Because... Scripture says that God is good. So how can he lead us into temptation? Well, the secret is he doesn't. Because if we needed to pray it for that reason, he wouldn't be a good God. So we need to dig a bit further into scripture to find out why it is we need to pray this prayer. And when we do that, what we find is there are two types of challenges or tests that we face in life. 
There are the good tests and there are the bad tests. It's a bit like which do you want first, the good news or the bad? But they are different. The bad tests are the ones that are designed by our unseen enemy. The devil. He designs them to lead us into sin. The Bible makes it quite clear that God isn't the originator of that type of test. In James 1:13 and 14, we read, God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Now, when temptation comes to us, some people want to blame God. And they want to blame God when they sin, because he tempted them. Others want to blame the devil. But actually, this scripture makes it quite clear that that isn't the case. The devil can only tempt you where you already have an evil desire in your heart. So what does it mean to pray, lead us not into temptation? Because God doesn't tempt us. If we look at the original texts, we find that the Greek passage was in fact written in the passive tense. So it in fact reads, not do not lead us into temptation, which is an active form, but actually more like do not allow us to be tempted or do not allow us to be led into temptation. So really this prayer is saying, Lord, help me to come to know what is best for me and to stay out of situations that aren't going to be good for me. Out of situations that are going to lead me into temptation or sin. My father used to offer me quite a bit of advice over the years. Some of which I have taken heedance of and some of which I've ignored. And some of which I've passed on to my children. Some of which they've taken heedance of and some they've ignored. But I can remember him saying to me something. In life, you can learn things one of two ways. The easy way or the hard way. When children are young, they can learn in one of two ways what the word hot means. Is that true? They can listen to their mother when she's cooking and when she says, don't touch that, it's hot. And they can maybe hold their hand just close enough they can feel the warmth. And they can learn from their mother's experience that if they touch it any further, it's going to hurt them. Or they can grab the handle of the pan and they can experience firsthand what hot means. And in the result, burn themselves. We're the same. We can learn directly from our own experience about temptation, or we can benefit from the wisdom of others who've gone before us and the testimony of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. We can listen when the Holy Spirit says to us, 
I know you're enjoying watching that TV programme, but actually it's not good for you. Or you can carry on watching it, and then you can argue that you're struggling because you're being tempted, and you can fail the test that you could have avoided altogether. So we need to learn to be smart before the event and not just look back on things with the benefit of hindsight. We need to learn what hot means before it burns us. We need to learn what sin is before we get into it. So this prayer is a prayer of strengthening. It's saying, strengthen me so that I can know what to do and order my day and the circumstances of it so that I'm not going to fall and walk into an area where the enemy has planned for my temptation or destruction. It's a powerful prayer. Lord, whatever your enemy has prepared for my harm today, protect me from it. Keep me from it. Direct my path away from those situations. And in the process, teach me, strengthen me, and guide me so I have the wisdom to know what to do in the future. Last week, we looked at the passage that was about asking for forgiveness when we get things wrong. This is about getting help when we're about to and help not to do it again Lord don't let us be tempted help us learn a better way through the work of your word and your Holy Spirit in our lives and that's the first kind of test the bad one then we've got the good ones we got the good ones, because also in the Bible, it shows there are positive tests and trials that God allows. Not to lead us into sin, but actually to bring us into growth and victory. If we look back a couple of chapters in Matthew, it was exactly the same for Jesus. He was taken into the wilderness, and he had to pray. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness but why was he led there to be tempted by the devil notice it wasn't God but was the tempter but he was clearly allowing and arranging for something to happen Jesus wasn't taken into the desert so that he would fail and fall into sin but so that he could be tested and by passing the test, it would bring glory to his name. And actually it would do something else. It would demonstrate that he was different to Adam. And where Adam failed and fell, the second Adam would overcome through the word of God. It was designed as an example and an encouragement to us. And actually, it was the first part of the victory of a battle that will, is still going on, but which has already been won through Christ's death. If you talk to people who go to the gym a lot, particularly those who are fanatical bodybuilders, they actually exercise with weights 
at the limit of their endurance at times because by almost damaging the muscle tissue it brings growth and strength. It's very risky because if they do it too much it brings damage. But it's where part of that phrase comes from, there's no gain without pain. The same is true of us spiritually. We have to learn to push through these things. Because if we don't, we don't grow as Christians. Smith Wigglesworth said, Without great tests, there are no great victories. If you think about it, God could have stopped Daniel going into the lion's den. But he allowed him to. And he shut the mouth of the lion as well. He could have stopped Meshach, Shadrach and Abednego going into the furnace in Daniel. But instead he let them go in and then he got in the middle of the furnace with them and delivered them. Sometimes we just want an easy life. But that isn't how it is. So what we need to learn to do is to recognise the tests that lead us into sin and how to avoid them. And we need to see just as Jesus did when he was led into the wilderness the things that God has planned to help us grow. And we need to prevail. If we don't go through these times of pressure we won't grow. But when we do we go on to win. In 1 Corinthians 10.13 it says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so you can stand up under it. It's a wonderful promise. God will not let you go beyond what you can bear. There's a downside to it. As we mature in our faith and are able to bear more, sometimes we get put under bigger trials. He knows what each of us can handle. But then he gives us the way out. A way of escape. When you get to that point where you just can't cope, God gives you the way out. He says, that's enough. You've proved your victory. And every time we pass the test, we grow. And God's victory is demonstrated over the powers of darkness. So our aim in these two types of tests, the good and the bad, has to be to pass the good tests and to avoid the bad ones. But God, in this passage, in the Lord's Prayer, promises not only to keep us, but to deliver us. In 2 Corinthians 10 verse 1, we read, He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. That was Paul's testimony. It's a great statement of faith. It's a great statement of faith, not only about what God had already done, but what was going to come. Because what he was saying is, I have already experienced the deliverance of God in my life, but I know he's going to deliver me now 
And he's going to continue to deliver me in the future. It's not a prayer, prayer of fear. It's a prayer of victory. He was saying, Lord, you won't lead us into temptation. Strengthen us. Deliver us and keep us victorious in the face of the enemy. We mustn't forget we are in the middle of a spiritual war. We live in a society that is worried about a war of terror. It's considered to have global impact. Yet there's a spiritual war going on which has far more significance. It's every bit as real and far worse than the war on terror. It's a conflict between the forces of darkness on the one hand and the forces of God and his kingdom on the other. And it's a war for the salvation of mankind. And a lot of people, Christians, fall into traps when looking at that issue. They fall into one, or two, one of two usually. They underestimate the nature of the war or they become fearful. The first group bury their heads in the sand. They just don't want to be concerned about it. And they say, oh, the devil will leave me alone. If I don't get into the conflict, he'll ignore me. Truth is, he doesn't, and he won't. So, if you underestimate the warfare that we're in, what happens is you are ill-prepared when problems strike. And then this group of people wonder why God allowed it to happen. Let me let, me let you in on the secret. Don't blame God. Wake up. We're at war. There's an enemy who hates us, who is out to steal, kill and destroy. We need to prepare for battle. The war is on. It's no time for the church to sleep. There's an enemy out there. The second group of people hear the noise of the battle going on and become fearful. And they give over far too much attention to what the devil's doing and they forget something which is important. The important fact we have to remember is it isn't a fair fight. It isn't even slightly fair. On the one side, we've got Almighty God who was the creator of everything. And on the other, we have the devil, a fallen angel, a created being. And the devil has already been dealt the death blow. That happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on the cross and when he rose from the dead. We're on the winning side. Don't forget that. Don't give undue attention and fear to what the enemy is doing. We need instead to walk in victory. And that's what this prayer is about. Deliver us from the evil one. It's part of the battle. 
And although the victory's been won, God has given us some weapons and he expects us to use them in the fight. And I just want to look at three of the weapons that he has given us that I believe help us walk in victory through these trials and temptations. The first is the blood of Jesus. It's something our Pentecostal brothers in the faith emphasize an awful lot. And we perhaps underemphasize the power of the blood of Jesus. It says in Revelation 12, verse 1, talking about the saints, they overcame him, meaning the devil, by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. Now this is one of our main weapons in the war. Most Christians accept and understand that they are forgiven through the blood of Jesus. But they're ignorant to the fact that the blood is not only the key to our fellowship with God and our receiving of eternal life, but it's the key to us winning the war against the enemy as well. 2,000 years ago, Jesus was beaten, whipped and hung on a cross. He shed his blood. And that was God making a covenant. And everybody who accepts what he has done by allowing Jesus to die in their place, are allowing a substitution to happen in their life. The unrighteous become righteous through the blood of Jesus and because of his sacrifice. And because of it, those who lived in the kingdom of darkness are given a right of entry into the heavenly kingdom. They have the right to inherit everything that Christ's blood bought for them. It was a covenant that God made, and the basis of it is victory and deliverance. In Hebrews 9:22, it says, "Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness." Jesus shed his blood on the cross so that we might be forgiven be righteous and be seated with him in heavenly places. And although that blood was shed 2,000 years ago, we need to make it ours by walking in the blessing and the inheritance of it day by day now. It isn't enough to rest on the past. We need to be walking in victory and salvation daily. We need to be thanking God for that sacrifice and declaring every day what Jesus' blood has bought for us. It says, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and their word of testimony. Notice that? Their word of testimony. We need to be declaring daily our testimony of what the blood of Jesus has done for us. Every time we declare the victory, the salvation, the blessings that are now ours, something changes in the spiritual realms. It's like having a bit of a force field around us. As we declare the victory, we are protected. 
And not only that, but as we declare that victory over the lives of others as well, they become protected to some extent too. It's like the picture we see in the Passover, where the people of God took the blood from lambs and painted it on the doors of their homes. When the destroying angel came over, he saw the blood and he had to leave them untouched. The good news is we can paint our households every day with the perfect blood of Jesus. And so when we come to this section of the Lord's Prayer, we can pray, thank you Lord for the blood of Jesus on my life. Thank you for the victory, for the blessing and for the protection that it brings. But it isn't enough just to know it or even believe it. It needs to be spoken out by our word of testimony. So declare it. Declare it over your house, over your family, over your life, over your thoughts, and over the deeds that you're struggling with. The first weapon, the blood of Jesus. The second weapon he's given us is actually his power. In Ephesians 6.10 we read, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his great power. There's no competition. Nothing is like the power of God. The good news is we're not called to fight the devil with human weapons. We have the God of the universe living inside us, surrounding us, strengthening us, equipping us, and giving us the ability to overcome. Jesus, who overcame 2,000 years ago, is now living inside me and you by virtue of his spirit. In 1 John 4 verse 4 we read, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So I can overcome through the blood of Jesus and also through his power. So the question is, how do I see God's power released in my life to bring me victory day after day? I personally think there's a link between two things. It's a link between prayer and power. If you look in Matthew 21, Jesus comes into the temple and he cleanses it. And he makes it effectively a house of purity. And then he declares something. He says, my house shall be called a house of prayer. And then he goes into the temple and he does signs and wonders. I think if you want to see God's power in your life, first of all, you need to build a house of prayer. If you build a house of prayer, what you will find growing in your life is a house of power. It's one of the reasons that we've spent so much time over the past few weeks looking at prayer. So that we can be victorious. So that we as a people know how to prevail day by day. So at the start of your day, I just want to encourage you 
Do you need an hour of power? Or half hour? Or 15 minutes? Or five minutes in the car on the way to work? Whatever you can manage. But do you not need to just get into the presence of God at the start of the day? Because as you pray, things start to happen. As we declare our Father, we come into his presence. And his presence rubs off on us. As we hallow his name, as we declare his righteousness, that he's our peace, that he's with us, he starts to manifest himself in our life. As we declare his kingdom and say that we don't want anything other than his will to happen in that day, we start to establish the government of God wherever we go. As we pray for our needs and as we get right with God and forgive other people, we start to be clothed with his power and made ready for the day. And then we can overcome through the power of God released through prayer. And then we have the third weapon. We have his blood his power. Then we have the third one, which is his armour. It's in Ephesians 6, it says, starting at verse 10, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armour of God, so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, did you notice that? It says, put on the full armour of God. Now, by implication, it's saying, if you don't put on the full armour of God, you might not be able to stand. Because what it says is, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand. We live in a world that talks about power dressing. Dress for success. If you wear the right clothes, it, you will get the most out of life. I'm unconvinced in the world. But certainly spiritually, we need to dress for success. We need to be putting on the armour of God. Moenna's laughing at me. She knows I have a range of suits. Okay? And I wear the suit to give the image I want to project. That's true. I have my court suit. Yeah. Doesn't come out very often. I dust it down once in a while and hang it back up. Um, and then I have some working suits. One of which looks a little shaggy and crumpled. And I don't hang it up that often. It probably smells a bit of petrol. But sometimes that's the right suit to wear. Because actually, when people see you in that and think that you're hopeless case, okay, they respond to you differently. And I find I get far more out of them if they think I'm a bit of a Columbo. It's the same theory as on Columbo, the TV. Anyway, we need to be putting on the full armour of God. Now, I'm glad looking around... But nobody came this morning having forgotten to put their clothes on. 
Yeah? I suppose you're glad I didn't as well. Is it? <laughs> you're, never sure whether, you're never sure whether he's got them all on. Yeah? Okay. When occasionally you get a streaker at a public event, you get a mixture of reactions. You get shock. You might even get horror. You get laughter. You sometimes get cheering. I think it depends on the physique of the person involved. But I think we would be all the more shocked if we could look round the wider body of the church and see who has and hasn't got their armour on. You know, it's tempting to think we ought to go and grab some spiritual streakers. But the fact is, we have to learn to put our own armour on. It's not something other people can do for you. They can teach you how to put it on, but they can't put it on for you. We have to learn to dress ourselves. And if we want to prevail, we need to be wearing real spiritual armour to win a real spiritual battle. So let's look at this armour. The, the, the passage says, put on the full armour of God. Now, do you know what the Greek word for all means? It means all. It means every bit of it. That's what we need to be doing. We need to be putting on the full armour, all of it, every bit of it. In verse 14, stand then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. This belt is there for one reason and one reason only. It holds everything else on. It's why you put it on first. It is the foundation and it is the belt of truth. What's the truth of God? If you look at scripture, it's quite clear that truth is God's word, particularly when revealed to us through Jesus. It is his plans of salvation. Knowing God and what he has done for us through Jesus is foundational for the rest of the armour. And therefore, it's foundational for your victory and your deliverance. We need to have an understanding of that. Not just in our minds, but actually in our hearts and in our spirits as well. We need to know that in Jesus, we already walk in victory. We need to get the truth of God in our lives. And then that belt will hold everything else in place. Even the sword. When we have that truth working in our lives, we need to be displaying it as well. Because one of the main weapons of the enemy is deception. And if we're going to overcome it, we need to be walking in truth. We need to stand against lies and deception. A couple of chapters earlier in Ephesians 4.15 it says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. Truth is a quality we need to demonstrate. But it's also a revelation we need to receive. 
it carries on in verse 14 with the breastplate of righteousness in place. The breastplate. It covered the whole of the upper torso, the heart and the lungs. Don't go out without your breastplate on. Why? Because the enemy will shoot for your heart. If you are being certain to take someone down with a single shot, you have to go for their head or their heart. So don't take chances. Wear your breastplate. Otherwise, the enemy will shoot you down. And he'll shoot you down with condemnation. I'm not worthy. God doesn't love me. Now this is the breastplate of righteousness. And the wonderful thing is God actually provides our righteousness for us through Jesus. We need to wear it. We need to declare it. I am righteous because of Jesus' blood. And then we need to live it out and stand free of condemnation. We can't declare it and not walk in it though. And that's why we've already asked in the Lord's Prayer for forgiveness. Because we need to be walking in righteousness. Goes on in verse 15. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Did you know, soldiers don't often take their boots off. Not when they're on an active campaign. They march with them on. They eat with them on. A lot of the time, they sleep with them on. And the reason is, if someone attacks in the middle of the night, they can't waste time trying to get their boots done up. They just wouldn't have time. They need to be ready. We need to be ready for what comes. Ready with the good news of peace. So one of our weapons is peace. It's not violence. We have to overcome the strife around us by displaying the opposite. By displaying peace. It carries on. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. I don't know about you but I hope it's a nice big shield. Notice it says, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. If you're walking by faith, the devil's missiles will not get through. They can't penetrate. Now, in Roman times, they used to dip their shields in water. So that when flaming arrows were shot at them, if they hit their shield, they went out. That is why faith is so important. So we need to read God's word, we need to speak it out, we need to believe it, and we need to do it in faith. Carries on in verse 17. The helmet of salvation. The helmet, it protects the mind. That's where so many people are so often attacked. 
And it's the helmet of salvation, the knowledge that we're saved. If you're discouraged or worn down, you can be encouraged and built up by knowing that God loves you, he's with you, and he's for you in everything you do. You're saved. But do you know, there's an even more wonderful truth than the fact that you're saved. And that is, you will be saved. There is a future hope that guards our minds. It's the knowledge that we're on the winning side. Jesus is going to return. And nothing that devil can do will stop him. We are saved for all eternity. And in comparison, our current afflictions are just momentary. Don't let the enemy get into your head and wear you down. Wear the helmet of salvation. And the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now it's interesting, the other parts of the armour are all defensive. And now we come to the first offensive part of the armour. It's the sword. And in that era, we weren't talking about huge two-handed swords that were wielded in the Middle Ages. The Roman sword was a short, stabbing blade that was designed for close quarters combat. So the sword of the Spirit. It is the sword that the Spirit wields. So the Spirit has a weapon. And it's the Word of God. But he won't wield it unless you cooperate with him. Now it's interesting. There's a lot of people who will pick up their Bibles and say, this is my sword. Shall I let you in on a secret? This is a book. Well, I think it's a book. If I leave what is written in there in there, it remains a book. The word has to get into our hearts and come out of our mouths if it's going to be a sword. And as it comes out of our mouth, the spirit will anoint it and it will bring revelation to us and defeat to our enemy. When Jesus was being tempted in the wilderness, he overcame by using that weapon. He said, it is written. It is written. It is is written. And then it says, it's in Luke 4, and the verse I'm going to quote is verse 13, at the end of that passage, it says, when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him for an opportune time. The weapon, the sword of the spirit, is linked to truth. It is the word of God, received in our heart, believed, and spoken out in faith. And that is our instrument of attack. When you're facing opposition, when you're under attack, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Do you believe that? Do you declare it when you're under attack? When you feel things coming against you, do you say, no, I am overcome by the blood of the Lamb and my testimony? 
we need to get the word of God out of the book and into our hearts and our mouths. Particularly into our minds. We need to speak it out by the Spirit. That is the way we win. We live in an environment of speaking out the truth of God's word by his spirit. That's what we need to be in. That type of environment. It's a hard thing to do. But let me let you in on the secret. Words are more powerful than thoughts. Do you want me to prove it to you? I'm going to anyway. I want you just in your mind, when I say go, to just quietly count slowly from 1 to 10. Now, can you all manage that? Do you want to practice? Or do you think you can get that right first time? Right. And then when I click my fingers, I want you to shout out bananas. Do you think you can manage that? Right. Count slowly in your head from 1 to 10. Shout bananas. Yeah? You got that? Go on then, start counting now. Who's still counting? What's happened to the rest of you? I thought you were counting from 1 to 10. Which was stronger in your life? The thought processes or the words? You're a woman. isn't it? For most of you, your counting stopped. I bet actually Eve stopped momentarily. And then she thought, I'm meant to be counting, and got back to it. That's what Eve would have done, I'm sure. The enemy comes against our minds. What he does is he brings thoughts to discourage us. And trying to battle with those thoughts in our head by bringing in other thoughts isn't always enough. But by speaking out words of truth, you can beat those thoughts. Do you remember when we did the Freedom in Christ course? For the first four weeks, there were lists of things that people were encouraged to go away and read out loud every day. And I know a few people who did it and said it really helped them. Why? Because speaking the truth out loud has a power over things. So you say, I resist that thought in Jesus' name because I know the truth is. And you speak out the truth. And as you speak out words of truth in faith, the spirit gets involved and it breaks the power of the thoughts that were attacking you. So then, having put on the full armour, it says, and pray in the spirit on all occasions and with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. We've put on the full armour. We need to continue in prayer and move into the enemy's territory. We need to be praying for all the saints. Keep on praying for yourself. But pray as well for your friends, for others in the church, 
for, the, for those of us who lead. Pray for the corporate church. And using those three weapons, I just want to say, let's keep on praying, let's keep on advancing, and let's keep on prevailing in Jesus' name. Because that is what brings glory to him. Amen. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 